You are listening to the B2B Marketing Mindset with Pete Monfrey and Bill Lowell. We want to help demystify marketing to reduce risk, drive more and better opportunities and grow your business. Are you ready to master marketing? All right. All right. Here we are again. On the B2B Marketing Mindset Podcast every Thursday. So welcome. You know, every week we go live on LinkedIn to help businesses make better marketing decisions. Uh, Today, we're busting a myth that price is basically the number one factor for choosing your company over another. And so, Bill, how many, you know, well, let me, we've got five factors that are almost always outrank price in in our own research. But I also looked up Forrester. Gartner looked up a whole bunch of other studies, and guess what? We're right, um, as usual. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about some of those factors, and there's actually more factors than what we're going to talk about, and we're going to post those on B2BMarketingMindset.com, the home of the podcast. Um, so, Bill, how many times in your illustrious career uh, have you had a CEO insist that price is basically the only thing, usually accompanied by a slam on the on the desk with the fist. Uh, is that a pretty common thing for you? Uh, hardly ever. Hardly ever. No. In fact, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I can't really remember a time, you know, where that was the case. So it's, you know, and even in all the, the customer studies that we've done or the brand perception studies, you know, where we ask people, you know, like, how did they make that decision? I, I hate to say it, but price hardly ever comes up. And for the ones that do, then I kind of get a little bit scared because then that tells me they're really in a commodity type business or they've commoditized their, you know, their products or services, which is, that's a whole nother issue that you're going to deal with. So to answer your question, in the, in the 30 plus years I've been doing the research, price is never it. It's usually a combination of things where they say, you know, it's this and this. And oh, by the way, you know, we want you to be competitive, but it's not, it's not ever the number one thing. Right, it's um, always on the. I mean, it's going to be on the list, right? But it's but yeah. the 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 thing that and so my experience mirrors yours. So Bill and I have done studies together. We've done studies in, uh, independently with our different companies, and we've seen the exact same thing. I can say I don't think price I've ever seen it be number one. When we're talking to customers, the customers of our customers, uh, it's just not the case, right? Uh, what you believe ain't necessarily so, and so. Right. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of different factors that play into the B two B sale. It can be very complex, but I want to cover just a few of them that usually outrank price. But again, so Forrester says about eight percent, nine percent. Gartner says about eight percent, where price is number one. Okay, um, to me, that's more of a sign that there's some kind of problem with your business model. Or I, I totally agree with that. You know, totally agree. And if you if you believe that and you're doing what's called, you know, you're basing your pricing off of your competitor's pricing, you're, the danger is you're going to get into a race to the bottom, right? Yes. And yes. The it's bottom, just like the same. Go ahead. Go, go. It's like the, it's the same thing when people issue an RFP, a ref, you know, a request for a proposal. And they do, I mean, you're doing the exact same thing. You're taking it to the bottom. <laughs> you're going to the bottom immediately, you know? Well, so and the funny, the thing with pricing is the bottom has no bottom. I mean... It can't be low enough. We see that in marketing. We see that in web development, especially when you have overseas competition. You know, literally a price for a website can be zero to as much as you want to spend. 
right? And it is a race to the bottom. Now, the good news is there's some things you can do. And, you know, that whole RFP thing, that deserves an episode unto itself. Like, if you're still doing RFPs, I want you to just slap yourself in the face right now and stop doing that because you're going to lose. Can I add add something else? You need to slap yourself in the face right now, stop it, and then go to your nearest person. It could be an employee, spouse, it doesn't matter, and then ask them to smash you twice. (laughs) To slap you again. Exactly. Now, now, you know, we can be flippant about it, but honestly, that experience is hard won because back in the day, we used to try to, we would do these RFPs. And if you think about RFP, it, it relates directly to price because what the customer is trying to do, and I don't blame them, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to level the playing field, right? They want everybody quoting apples to apples. But here's the thing. If you're selling something, do you want a level playing field? Of course not. You want that playing field tipped as far in your direction as it can get. Um, and the thing about RFPs is it reduces the whole buying position, uh, uh, the, the entire buying process down to one thing, price. Right. There's The only thing left to talk about is price. So do you want to play that game? I mean, I don't. Uh, and so we, we realized that we were spending an enormous amount of time on RFPs that we very seldom won. And over years and years, you know, it's pretty, I think most people know this, but whoever wrote the RFP, whoever helped the client write the RFP is going to win it, all right? It's a rigged game. Now, if you can get in there and rig the game, then maybe this rule doesn't apply. But I don't wanna spend my time writing RFPs unless it's a very big deal. Uh, And even then I'm really not that interested in that. But so RFPs, slap yourself in the face, go to your spouse, have them slap you, maybe uh, ask someone on the bus to slap you because that's always good. And please record it on your phone and send it in because that'd be awesome. We'll we'll definitely put that on the podcast. Um, But we've got some things uh, that pretty consistently rank higher than price. I mean, sometimes price will be like number three. Number four. And like you said, sometimes it doesn't even come up. And right. so, and in, in many of those cases, the client is, uh, finds out that they're just priced too low. Right. And so, and like you said, Pete, which I think is really a danger, you start going down that model, you've just ruined your business. I mean, how do you start? I mean, it takes a lot then to start turning that around and getting your margins up, doing other things. I mean, and we'll talk about this, I know, in a couple of other points, but if you're going to actually try to sell another product or service or do some cross-selling, it's that same expectation is going to flow. Then if you've been that low in price, they're expecting the next thing you provide to be that low in price. It's it's a spiral, like you said, that just doesn't stop. It's a, it's a one-way river because you can't go up in price. You can only go down. And so if you're not sure, well, first of all, if you're not sure, you should be doing research. Right. But if you still refuse to do that... Uh, then start high, right? Yeah. Because you can always come down. So let's talk about one of the factors uh, that is consistent in, in all of our research. And listen, people, we're talking about thousands of research studies. We've been doing this for three decades. And between the two of us, I mean, I, I honestly, I stopped counting about 10 years ago. Um, I really have no idea how many research studies that we've done, um, not, not only for clients, but for ourselves. Like, we're constantly doing this. And so these are the things. So reputation and trust... Um, uh, or perceived value. So I got my slides out of order here. Perceived value. Uh, so this is an interesting one to me because 
its perceived value. Because before the sale, the client can't know what the ultimate value is going to be, right? So it, it really comes down to the perception is reality issue. So perceived value, they, um, it, it, they, they perceive that your overall value proposition and those could include different factors, quality, reliability, innovation, support. It could be a whole list of things. Uh, and price is part of that equation. But what have you seen in terms of that coming up in, in surveys? Yeah, I, I think the, the perceived value is, is really high. In fact, we even ask, uh, when we do our studies, we ask people to rate the perceived value so that we can understand it or do a pre and post. You know, what was it before you met this client? How about afterward? And you're so right. I mean, the value part is critical. And, you know, there was a trend, as you remember, about 15 years ago where everybody was saying, sell on value, forget about price. And, I, you know, I think that that's really true. But just like you said, okay, how many intangibles or tangibles do you provide for your clients that, you know, it doesn't even, it goes without saying. So it's like, okay, you know, yeah, we're going to be good in, in what we do, but you know, you're going to answer that phone. I know, you know, how many times have you done some stuff where you go the extra mile for a client and you do a few extra things. And, you know, it's like all of that is so important, you know, whereas if it's based on price, somebody's going to be charging you for every second of time and everything else. So the perceived right. value, you know, and plus, you know, you said, you said this too, Pete, which I think is really important. You know, you have to believe it. So for example, when you're pricing, you know, you have to make that decision, you know, where are you strategically? And, and you know, if you don't want to be the low cost provider, maybe you, you offer a little bit higher price. And by doing that, somebody might also perceive the value of that. But value right. is, you know. Objectively, is a Rolex, does a Rolex keep better time than a Timex? Exactly. Okay. I mean, it's, it's about the perception of value. And uh, that can be something that you can control, right? And there is a strategy, premium pricing strategy. Rolex uses it. Mount Blanc pens use it. Yep. Mercedes-Benz yep. uses it. Um, is, a, is a Mercedes better or is a Bentley better than a Mercedes objectively? Maybe yep. the fit and finish. I mean, but is it is it the more value than the price differential? Yep. You know, it yep. really isn't. It's all about the perception of it. So you know, yeah. research is a great way to find out how people, because no, no customer is going to just say, Hey, perceived value is one of our important drivers. Cause they don't, they don't use those words. They don't think that way. Some of these are kind of psychological things that they yeah. can't maybe you, verbalize. I'll give you an example of one thing that I tell every one of my clients when I'm going to do a research study, Pete. And that is, I always say, you know, cause like a lot of times, some of the CEOs and the top marketing people will think they know everything, but they might want confirmation or they might just want a little direction. And I always say, you know what? I guarantee you, I am going to bring you at least one surprise or aha moment or maybe several. I don't know how many that's going to be, but I can guarantee you we're going to bring some of those for you. And the people look at me like, like I'm a little crazy and I go, you know, that's the value. It's like we're... You, you know, you think everything else is going good, but we're going to bring you some insights that no one else is going to do. So it's like, how are you positioning yourself to be able to provide that value to the client? They've, they've got to see it. They've got to see it. Well, and I want to underscore this too. Clients, you know, this is not a slight against any of our clients. They know their business, all right? They're going to be 98% right. And we love it when we come back and say, hey, man, you were right 
on that 98%. It's this 2% or it's this 1% that we're wrong. And then there's this 1% that we didn't think of and you didn't think of. And it's a huge insight, makes a big difference. Yes. And if you didn't do the research, you would have never known. And so, yeah. um, you know, I guess in some ways this episode is going to be talking a lot about research, but that's okay because uh, it's you, crucial. Yeah, the, the other thing for value, and, and, and maybe I, I'll mention this for the other point, or, or second point that we're going to talk about, but with regard to value, there's a lot of times that the, the customer just doesn't know how to solve their problem. And if you really are able to do that for them, and we'll, we'll talk about this on, the next, on your next point, but if you're able to do that, that really brings that value level scale way high because it's like, hey, you know, you might spend a lot of money chasing after something and not knowing what it is, but once you are able to solve it or help them solve it, it's a totally different story. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good segue to the next uh, next bullet point, customization and tailoring. Okay, how yep. well can you, one size fits all. Oh yeah. Just generally is not valued. I mean, I hear this all the time in the web development arena because my wife owns uh, Heidi Designs and they do a lot of web development and that sort of thing. But the thing that we hear the most is, look, man, we do not want a copy and paste uh, templated, you know, cookie cutter is the words that I hear a lot. You know, we don't want that. So the way, so if you can uh, offer tailored solutions that meet very specific needs in a, in a, in a unique way, price is going to take a far back seat, maybe all the way back to the trunk, right? right. Um, it's still going to be in the list. And I always want to acknowledge that price is important. We're not saying price isn't important, but it's just not the number one thing, right? So customization, yeah. how can you tailor what you're doing? Yeah, let's let me go back to uh, when you talked about that dirty word or the, the acronyms, the RFP and everything else. You know, if you as a customer are going into the relationship with your consultant or your marketing person or whatever it is, with already your preconceived notions that you know what you need, then maybe customization is not going to be as important to you. But there's so many times that I get it, and I know you do, where a client will come to us and they, they have a problem, but they don't know how to fix it and they don't know how to go about it. And they might be really frustrated and we know it, we, we can help them. So that customization is so important, so valuable. So, you know, if you have a, a listener out there that's thinking about what can I do with that customization? If, like you said, if they have cookie cutter, that's one thing, you know, then, okay, then slap the next thing together and, and get it out the door. But if it's going to be a problem solving, that could take a lot of effort. And that's, that's a lot of value as well that, you know, doesn't have anything to do with the price. It's like, wow, if you can solve my problem, they'll tell you, oh, this would be worth the fill in the blank to me. Right. And so, and that really brings the sales process into the discussion, right? Because yes. I've yeah. long held, and I share this with my clients and the clients that I coach, um, very excited to be, uh, you know, when I work with a, with a marketing firm, another marketing firm or an advertising agency, this is where this comes up the most often. I was just telling a client this the other day. Sometimes the insecurity about their ability to sell makes them lower the price because it's easier to sell. So right. if you can get better at selling and have a better process, for example, when, when we're qualifying a customer, we're going to ask what the budget is. Now, we're not going to yeah. say, hey, what's your budget? Because everybody's going to say, I don't know. Uh, you know but as, as David Sandler would say, you know, if a prospect's lips are moving, they're lying. 
Um, they have a budget, or at least they have a number in mind. They just don't want to tell you. And so we have ways of asking the question where, you know, we find out the budget. Can you imagine if you knew the at least ballpark budget of everybody that was in your sales pipeline, what a difference that would make to your business? Now, sometimes somebody just will not share their budget. So you got a choice to make. I know my choice is always, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. If something changes, let us know. You're not going to tell me the budget. I'm not going to play. It's this new game. Uh, well, it's not really a new game at all. Uh, it's it's called Let's Play Guess What's in My Head. No, we're not playing Guess What's in My Head. I hate that game. Um, and so, is it lazy? Are you are you being a lazy salesperson? Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a judgmental thing to say. May, maybe a better way to say it would be. Could your sales process be improved, right? And I love talking about sales. We don't do that enough on this program. We should do yeah, that. We should, we should do that sometime. But you know what? You just hit on a really, really important point. You're absolutely right. If if lowering the price makes the sale or the selling process easier, some people go for that. And you know, obviously that's a strategy, but I think it's it's a terrible road to go down. You know, the one thing I think that's important to remember is that everybody has got unique needs. And so being able to customize, you know, customize something or tailor something to those unique needs is just absolutely critical. And, you know, it's not it's not that boilerplate like you're talking about. Well, we've come we've become a world obsessed with scalability and automation and, you know, where it really pushes people to standardize things. And, and there are offerings, packages that you could standardize. But even within right. a package, there needs to be a level of flexibility. Now, if you're happy with the lowest price you can possibly get, even, you know, hey, if you want to win a lot of deals, lower your price below your cost, right? Yeah. You're going to win like crazy uh, until you lose. Um, let's go on to the next thing. And this is a yeah. huge one. Reputation and trust. Yeah. Reputation and trust. Now, I want to share this with the, with the listeners. You're doing a survey for me right now. Yes. About reputation, perception. I can't remember the third thing we were looking at. Uh, well, your brand. And there's a lot of stuff we're going to oh, yes. measuring on that. But the brand perception, everything, you know. We want to know, you know, what words come to mind when they think of our company, uh, yeah. you know, and, and me personally, I mean, it's tough. It's kind of scary. I got to tell you, you know, cause I'm sure some people are going to be like, oh, that guy's just an asshole, you know? Uh, but that's okay. Cause I am. And it's fine. I already know that, you know, so we can take that off. Uh, but it's but the 2% that I'm going to bring you. <laughs> right. Um, reputation and trust. Um, this is something you actually have control over, believe it or not, mm -hmm. yes. right? All these things that we're talking about, you have control over it. And I think sometimes we don't realize that, right? Um, or yeah. we don't know how to control it, right? So right. Um, an established company is going to have an advantage over maybe a company that doesn't have a proven track record. But what if you're not even talking mm -hmm. about your track record, right? I think we win a lot of business simply because of the track record. Right. And where other companies, maybe they're not as. What did Reagan say? I'm not going to use my opponent's age uh, against them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, maybe Agent they're not experience. as experienced. Agent right? inexperienced. That's right. Yeah. You know, our positioning is all about experience because we find that that's one of the things that it's it's unusual to find people that have been in our business as long as we have. OK, I'm not bragging. I love to brag because this is Texas. By the way, in Texas, you know what they say about bragging? It ain't bragging what? if it's true. 
Look at my hair. All right. Yeah. That's enough of that. And everything um, is bigger in Texas. Everything is, including my ego. So it's just <laughs> outsized. Uh, okay. So level of trust and credibility. So what are some ways that they can communicate credibility, trust, well, that's reputation. thank you. That's a that's a really good question because I have a couple of points to, to say about that. There, a lot of times I, I talk about brand heaven and brand hell, and people think I'm nuts. But in order to get to brand heaven, which has everything to do with your reputation and trust, it's like the number one thing you need to be is consistent. So it's like if I'm coming to you, Pete, for some kind of service or to one of your clients to to purchase that, I want to know every time that I come, I can expect that to be the exact same or better every single time. And it's like, so when that consistency keeps on going up like that, like every time it's like, then there's no disappointment. Everything is always as it is. All of a sudden I'm building more loyalty, but guess what? The loyal, the more loyal it is, the more they're going to stay with you. You got better retention of your customers, your clients. I mean, so good communication, good customer service skills, all of that is going to be so important for building that, that trust. But if you go to brand hell, that's like we do something that's inconsistent or all of a sudden it's a project or a product that you're selling. All of a sudden something's wrong. And then all of a sudden we get on the phone and the customer service isn't as good as we want. And it just starts going downhill. That's the brand hell that we're talking about. And so you have to be very, very careful to not go into brand hell. You want to make sure that you're consistent and going always, you know, in the right direction and doing the things because that trust you know, that consistency builds trust, which builds loyalty, which builds repeat business. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Well, there, there's another four-letter word uh, uh -oh. in business, and it's plan, okay? Yes. Really, I don't know of any other way, especially if you have an organization that's of any size, to be consistent yeah. unless you have some sort of plan. It doesn't have to be a complicated plan. Yeah. doesn't have to be 150 yeah. pages, you know, but yeah. some kind of plan, that's how you become consistent. And when you're inconsistent, psychologically, that tells people – Maybe there's chaos on your yes. end, right? It's yes. it's it starts to impact, but but people aren't gonna overtly say, "Why well, these guys are kind of inconsistent." I don't trust them. It's more like no. the gut feel of, yeah. of if they trust you or not. Okay, they might not be able yeah. to verbalize it, but you know, and how but, but it, it, credibility is another yeah. one. This podcast Absolutely. is all about credibility, by the way. You know, think about it. It's every interaction, just like you were talking about with your with your customers or with your publics or with your uh, market, target market. I mean, it's just like you were talking about being consistent. But you mentioned something else that I think really needs to be explained here. And with regard to reputation and trust, and that is crystal clear communication, because if you're not communicating with the clients and I and I have clients that are like this, where it's like they're just doing they're they're doing really well. And so they, I don't want to say they forget about their customers, but they're too busy. It's like, you know, that is a bad way. You're going to start hurting your reputation. So what can you put in place to have some more communication? You know? Yeah. So and I, 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 you yeah. know, I'll admit, I think sometimes we don't, we don't, as at Clarity Marketing Sport, we don't, we don't do a good a job as communicating as we might. And that might be because we're kind of small and we do get busy, but at least we're aware of that we're trying to try to do better yeah. all the time. So, um, yeah. Let's run to the next one here. Um, this is a huge one because I believe risk mitigation. Yeah. When 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 somebody asks me what business we're in, it's real easy mm -hmm. to say marketing. Actually, what we're in the business of is mitigating risk. Okay, you're going to risk time, treasure, effort, 
blood, sweat, tears. Uh, that's what you're risking. And if you make the wrong decisions, or let's say you don't quite understand what your customer thinks, or you think you understand, you're gonna you're gonna willing to make those assumptions. What you know, you're you're raising your risk profile, right? Yeah. Yeah. So risk mitigation. How much? You know, I I have a friend that's a stunt man. Um, wow. And uh, let's just say he has an entirely different concept of risk than I do. You know, oh, I was yeah. talking to him. I went to his place, and he his face was all scratched up and stuff. And I said, "Wow, what man, Steve? What happened to you?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, we rolled this semi, uh, and the third time we just didn't have the windshield uh, properly prepped, and uh, just you know got the." And I, that's when I just realized. Rolling semis? I'm going to pass on that, okay? Just, exactly. I'm the risk taker, but Steve's nuts. Um, so, well, there's the risk of choosing the wrong horse, right? Right, right. Um, and so, and sometimes there's, there's the old saying that nobody got fired for choosing IBM. Right. It's all about risk mitigation, perceived value. Um, trust it's, it's kind of the, it's, it's all of these things combined with that saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think you nailed that one too. And, and that works on both sides of the equation, both if it's marketing people that are viewing this now today and how they present that to their clients, or if it's from the client side and how they see it, what is the cost of a bad decision? You nailed that, you know? And so what are we going to do with regard to that? So, but if you go back to the last thing that we talked about with reputation and trust, if you talk about somebody being able to customize and be able to really solve my problems, if you go back to somebody who provides a lot of extra value, that innovation, the price, you know, everything else, price is not going to matter. It's like you've risked, you've really reduced that risk mitigation. But to tell you something, if you're solely working just with price, I don't think that risk mitigation goes away because every time you're offering something, it's, I think it's a crapshoot, you know? Yeah, and, you know, Amazon is such a great example of this. There's a lot of times yes. that I will much prefer to go to a physical store because I perceive risk buying things from Amazon because I'm yeah. going to get a, a gray market or I'm going to get a fake or I'm going to get something that's not how it's described. I mean, Amazon has kind of turned into this crapshoot sort of thing. Now, most of the time they do pretty well, but... It's just the perception of it again. So, um, you and I, you and I have talked about this too with regard to risk mitigation, Pete. Especially with regards to customers or the clients, asking some of those "what if" questions. You know, like, okay, if you just go down this one path and we're only focusing on price, what happens if the competition starts emerging and maybe offers a new product or service? What if? the market slows down, what are we gonna do? What if the market takes off? What if we make the wrong decision in hiring this person to head up our product development? I mean, I, I could go on with the what ifs, but those are good things to ask with regard to the risk mitigation, ask good questions. But if you have a good marketing person or if somebody's watching this and they're a marketing executive, it's the same thing, you're already, you're asking those good questions. So it's like, even knowing that for the customer transaction is going to be so much more important and valuable than just going with the price, you know? It's like well, and if you haven't done your research, and I'll tell you what, if, if you and if you did do your research more than three years ago, 
you know, it's probably time to do it again because everything changed over COVID. We're going to be having a panel coming up. We're going to be talking about the post-COVID buyer's journey and how that has changed. We have some amazing experts that are going to come on. Um, As soon as we have everybody nailed down, we'll be announcing that. But I think it's going to be a great panel because literally everything has changed except how you're going to market. And I'm going to bet that if you're still doing the same things that you were doing three, four, five years ago, your numbers are probably not where you want them. And I'm going to take this opportunity also to let you know that you can subscribe on every to the B2B Marketing Mindset on every major podcast platform on the planet, at least the best ones. And uh, but you can also go to b2bmarketingmindset.com, and that's where the video goes. Because you know, podcasts all audio. But if you want to see transcript of the episode, you want to see our beautiful, uh, attractive faces, you can go to uh, the website. And so we encourage you to do that. Please subscribe and share with a friend. That's my ask of you today in return for this wonderful knowledge that we're sharing. Uh, last thing, relationship and collaboration. Take it away, Bill. You know, I, I think that the relationship thing kind of speaks to almost everything we've already talked about. If it's if it's going to be based solely on price, technically they don't care if you build a relationship or not. But if I build a relationship, I'll give you an example. If we're building relationships, we're going to go out of our way to give extra value. We're going out of our way to build customer service because we're no longer seeing it as a vendor relationship. I when somebody says vendor to me, I mean, it just makes my skin kind of crawl. I mean, to me, I deal with friends. And so that's how you look at it. So it's like, if we're building relationships, if we're going to collaborate, which means we're working together to solve the problem. And I think, I just think that that goes without saying it's the, the customer support. There's just so much more that makes you differentiated from your competition if you're able to have that strong relationship. And I know you want to respond to that, and then I can share a couple more things if you'd like. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, Sandler, and I often talk about Sandler because it's a sales methodology that literally changed my life. It's been 15 years of study. Actually, here is the manual for Sandler. Oh, wow. Oh, there you go. Uh, it's a lot to learn. But um, one of the things is the relationship curve. And at the top of it, you've got advisor, trusted advisor. Yeah. And at the bottom of the curve, you've got vendor. And it's a curve yes. because it's super easy to slide down, right? Make right. wrong decisions, you're going to slide down. In the middle is service provider, okay? Yeah. Why do you want to be a trusted advisor? Because your, your, your perceived value is going to be higher, Customer loyalty is going to be higher. You're going to get more referrals. You're going to have more success because your clients believe you and trust you uh, and respect you. If you're a vendor, you get none of those uh, benefits, and you're only as good as your price. And so ask yourself, are you a vendor? Are you a service provider in the middle? Are you a trusted advisor? If it starts with a V, you might want to change some things. Yeah. Absolutely. A um, couple of things. One, I was lucky enough to work for a, a wonderful person that taught me. And actually, that's how you and I got together, believe it or not, because your Ed. uncle worked for. Yeah, he worked for that same gentleman. So we worked together. But Ed, Ed would always say, you know, like the secret of selling or the secret of a good customer relationship or client relationships, he'd say people want to hang out with people that they like. And I, you know, and I remember when he first told me that, I was like, okay, that's pretty simple. Of course, that, that's true. But it's really, I mean, it's an effort. It's an effort. So, you know, 
people do want to build a relationship with people that are likable and enjoyable and that are going to go the extra mile. And so I think that that's really key to, uh, you know, and, and that would drive, you know, better value and so much more. And so I think he was absolutely right. I think that building the relationships are key. The other thing that I really think with regard to the relationships and the collaboration is if you have a good relationship with your customer or whatever the case is, and let's say that you provide some kind of service or whatever, and they say, if it was just a vendor, they'd say, no, your price is too high. If it's a friend or a customer, or you're, you're that trusted advisor that you're talking about, they're going to share their problem and say, the problem right. that I'm having is I really have a CEO that's really not on board right now and I need to help. Okay. Now it's a different story because now we can collaborate to help them sell where they need to or to solve the problem. It just makes, you know, and, and both parties are more willing to do that. You know, otherwise you're working in the dark. Well, I love Dad. I only met him a few times back in the day. And uh, thank you to my uh, Uncle Bob. Yeah, Bob Cooper, definitely. are you out there? Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was a great advisor for me, introduced me to you back three decades ago, and yeah. it's just been amazing. But I want to add something to it. So, yes, likability, but the other thing is respect. So people buy from those they respect yes. and like, okay? Yes. It's a, it's a two-edged sword. It's, you, you can make a sale if you only have respect. They don't really like you, but let's say you're the best guy in the business, but how many yeah. of us have that? I mean, besides me and you, but how many people yeah. have that, you know, that position? Uh, but respect and uh, and and likability, the the quality of the relationship, quality relationship. Are you always bringing value, or yes. are you always coming asking for something? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're bringing value, you're going to create that relationship naturally. Um, and so those are at least five things. I think we, I, I think we have like nine or ten total things can, that consistently we can score higher. We can higher. go on forever, but I well, think I think people are no. I think people are getting the point. It's like price is very rarely number one, and if it is, you better rethink your strategy. I think the other point is here: the diversification is really key of strategy. So, like when you're even thinking about how do I position my business or my service, it's like. Think about some of those five things that Pete and I just talked about today and what are they? Or maybe if you want the others, download those from the website that Pete was talking about. Maybe there's some other things that you position, but don't don't go on price. Don't go on price. Yeah, I mean, let's, you know, wrap up final thoughts here. Um, I think there's a bug flying around in the studio. Did you see it? I I, I hear it. It tried it's to fly weird. up my nose a minute ago and it, it, uh -oh, it bothered uh -oh. me, but... You know. Well, that's that's worth them going in and tuning in on LinkedIn to see it on the podcast, the video of it, right? We're very inclusive here. Even the bugs yes. are welcome. Um, but I think the final, my final thoughts on this, and then I, and I want you to share your final thoughts. Um, they're just, you know, we've identified what we're talking about are the ones that consistently come up in the research, but there are just a myriad of factors that are going to be more important than price. And if you do the research and you ask your customers, don't guess. Guessing, I mean, maybe you're very like maybe you're like Steve and you have a very high level of risk tolerance. Hey, great. Go ahead and guess. Our clients don't pay us to guess. We don't do it. 
we do the research, we talk to your customers, we do competitive analysis, and we want to know as best we can. We can't get 100%, but we're going to do a lot better than if we just believe whatever you say as a, as a client because you're going to be full of cognitive bias. That's why I hired you to do my research because I'm not going to do that research because I'm too biased. All right? And so this is how you figure out what are those top three criteria, top four criteria. Where does price factor in. I like the question, you know, we ask, um, what are your what are your top criteria choosing one firm over another? That's a very specific question. And then how do you rank it? And then I love to follow up with, and then now using those same criteria, how do we rank against our competitors on the same criteria? Okay. If you're doing research that asks questions like, if we were a tree, what kind of tree would we be? You know, that's not useful information. That's real. I had a cl- I really, that's, that's a real thing. I had somebody, the other question they had, they wanted me to ask their, their clients, were, uh, uh, if, if we were, if we met at a bar, what drink would you buy me? I got wow. fired from that client. Wow. Good. Because good. I refused to ask those questions of their customers. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to go and make you look like idiots. I didn't say that. Well, maybe I did. Unless it was, unless it was Miller Brewing Company or Miller Coors or right, <laughs> or one of the other. Maybe it was uh, Anheuser Busch. Oops. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Final thoughts. Final yeah. thoughts. Uh, this is this is a much more complex topic than we can do in a podcast, but you you just nailed it, and that's what I would have said as my going away. Ask your customers what are the key criteria that they utilize to make the selection, and then. And by the way, those things can and do change all the time. So you bet, you know, so get it for this year, but then you better ask and do a follow-up next year because things might might emerge or change. And, and they're going to tell you, you know, and then just like you said, you can rank them and, and see which ones are the highest and which ones are the lowest. I guarantee a price is usually going to be at the bottom of that, of your ranking there. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to say that, you know, a lot of people don't make it to the end of the podcast. That's kind of normal with video. But if you do make it to the end of the podcast, you're going to get these final thoughts and maybe uh, more. All right. So we hope you uh, do tune in again. Catch us everywhere fine podcasts are consumed. And uh, it's good to see you, Bill. Last week I said you were luxurating in a vat of cheese is why you weren't here. Oh, wow. Nice. Thank you. That was a lie because everyone knows that. I am. I have turned into a bionic person, as you well know. I've had in the last uh, three months. I've had two hip replaced, so now I'm ready to go run a marathon. You know. Well, that's just because you're young, and uh, you know that happens. Oh yeah, and, that's uh, it. But anyway, hey, listen. Thank you, uh, and we will see everyone next week. B2B marketing mindset over and out. Thank you.